today we have got a special surprise for you guys that are listening to the Digital Side Hug. I love that I get to do this, and and I'm hearing from youth ministers who are listening to this podcast and who will send me a text message or send me an email or even pat me on the back when they see me in person and say, thanks for doing this. I, and, and just to let you know, that's very encouraging. Today, we're going we're gonna to invite into this podcast uh, the voices of some of you guys that are out there in podcast land who have been listening or who are, are people that I respect and love in ministry. We have brought in today two counselors. And, and to this point, we've only interviewed ministers. So this is awesome. I've got Jennifer Lackey here and Jim Frost. Say hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> uh, for, let's tell us who you are and why I wanted you to be on this podcast. Um. Okay. I'll start. Uh, Jennifer Lackey. Um. I am a counselor with Agape, um, which is a local nonprofit organization. Um. And you asked me to be here to kind of provide a perspective from the counseling side. Um. To help support what you guys are doing um, from the pastoral side. Jim? I'm Jim Frost, uh, and I am also a counselor at Agape. I have uh, been in the counseling business for about 34 years, and uh, for the first half of that, I worked almost exclusively with kids and teens. And uh, that's been just a joy to, you know, kids are great to work with because they're very accepting and so forth. and one of the other joys in my life, David, was that, that my son got to be in the youth program at Otter Creek with you. That's right. And, yes. that's, uh, and, and just one of the things related to that was that you and I got to know each other through that. Defrost. Pro- probably of all the teens I've ever had in my youth group, the one with the most knowledge of the National Football League. That would be him. That would be my son. <laughs> and Jim Future was, commissioner of the National Football League. Jim, in addition to being, you know, Joey's House of Pizza uh, buddies all those years, was that dad, and youth ministers, if you're listening, you you know, hopefully you've got somebody like this at your church. Jim was that, that dad that would come and knock on my door, poke his head in my office and say, hey, I've been reading the bulletin. I've been reading your emails. Do you need me to go to the elders and tell you to take a break and spend some time with your family and get away with your wife and just call a timeout? And I would always give Jim this giant hug. I, I just appreciate that role you played in my life. Uh, kind of my counselor. And, and that's why, Jim, you and Jennifer are here today. I said, Jim, I want you to help me with a podcast. Youth ministers like me have tons of questions and that maybe counselors like you can help answer. I said, who's the other counselor that we need to talk to? And you said, Jennifer. Um, Jennifer, tell me a little bit about who you've been working with over the years and, and sort of what ages and what type of work you do. Okay. Um, I, let's see, uh, for 10 years now, I've been at Agape and I work, um, with children and adolescents and families primarily and children starting around age four, all the way up to, you know, um, young adults and, um, a lot of family work. That's my favorite populations, um, to work with. And I see things, um, emotional disorders, um, behavioral issues, just life stuff that happens like grief, abuse, um, a lot of just coming of age things with my teenagers. And, mm-hmm. um, before this, I was working with the special needs population. Um, so I also um, have an affinity for those families that deal with um, things like autism and, and special, more special needs kinds of yeah. things. Thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be fabulous uh, for me. 
And, and whether anybody else listens to this or not, I'm going to love hearing you give me some advice on how to handle certain situations. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Listeners will know that I like to ask some random questions. So imagining asking two counselors some of my funny, ridiculous questions has been really fun. We will start the music. Are you guys ready? Yes. I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. I'm going to start with the question by Dr. Morris Gregwire. I always ask this, sponsor of the show is Asking Can Be Fun, and Dr. Greg Wire is, is a brilliant question developer, and here's his question for you guys today. I quickly change the subject when my parents start asking me about dot, dot, dot. Oh, that's it. <laughs> what do you quickly change the subject about when your parents start asking you? I think... Uh, about your peers and your friends, your closest associates. Kids don't like to, uh, they, they like to protect the privacy of their peers. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, or they'll give a very non-committal, very generic answer. Uh, they don't like for kids to pry about their closest associates. For parents associates. to pry into that. Yes. Okay. Tell me Tell me more about this boy that you're hanging out And that's a, that's a great counselor answer. Mm-hmm. What about the Jim Frost answer? When your parents start talking about such and so, you like to change the subject. You you have totally stumped me. I know my answer. What is it? It's when they start asking me about what I've eaten. My mom has this thing where she will always ask me, well, what do you have for lunch? What are you going to have for dinner? And it's always about what I'm eating. And I don't, I think it's just that nurturing thing. And, and, and that's when I'm... Yes, you're immediately... Did you see Jimmy Fallon last night? You bring something else up to talk about. You know, I, when, as I think about it, one of the reasons why I was stumped, I mean, my, my, my dad's passed away about 10 years ago, but I really, uh, I mean, I'm very blessed because I think I can talk to my mom about anything. I mean, uh, and, and I've, you know, pretty much always, That's not right. always as a teen, but as an adult, right? my, my mother has... Uh, you know, sort of accepted the fact that I wander around uh, and try out different things, and uh, so I, I just feel pretty open. I don't. You don't, I don't experience that. I, right, no, yeah. I don't. Um, next question for you. This is a desert island question. You've probably heard the desert island. You're stranded on a desert island. Your plane goes down, and you realize that you have a few things with you. One is a cooler, and inside there is a refreshing, ice cold can or bottle of blank. Okay, an unopened bag of blank and a, a fresh copy of something to read. All right, so you're on a desert island. Obviously, your life has taken a turn for the worst, but there is a delicious beverage, a, a, a terrific snack, and something to read. What is it for you? And it's not going to make it all better, obviously, <laughs> but it's going to be that moment where it's like, I'm going to deal with this in a moment because right now, at least I have some sour gummy worms. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it a feels, nice cold Dr. Pepper. It feels funny to say Diet Coke yeah. when you're going to be <laughs> on a desert island. island. Right. <laughs> yes, that's funny. But is Diet Coke your favorite? Well, you know, probably Coke is my favorite. Okay. But, but okay. I, I'm, I'm so ingrained into the diet. Uh, you know. You need the calories, Jim. It's uh, a desert island. Nacho chips, tortillas. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and this. You know, I honestly and truly, if I could only have one book, you know, 
uh, I, I would want the Bible just because there's you, whatever you want to read is in there now. I, and I should have said the Bible's off the table. Yeah. Okay, oh. I'll allow it, but Jennifer, you can't use that. Now okay. they asked G.K. Chesterton if you could only have one book on a Ooh. desert island. Stone Campbell reference. Tell us more. He said Talbert's Practical Book of Shipbuilding. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very good answer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good, Jennifer. Um, Sprite. All right, ice cold Sprite. Yes, and popcorn. Okay. <laughs> in the book. Would, now, stuff. would it be like caramel popcorn, cheese popcorn? Mm, just really Just good regular buttered. Buttery, salty okay. popcorn, probably. I started thinking almonds would be like more survival, but if it was really just to make me feel better, it would be popcorn. Yeah, yeah. This is comfort then, food. Yes, comfort. And, and then you'd be reading? What pops out, uh, I'm with you, you know, but beyond, if that's off the table. Yeah. I My favorite book is The Count of Monte Cristo. And oh. I just keep going back to that. That's. I yeah. love. I two three years ago I got a hardback copy of the unabridged. unabridged it's good. The unabridged is better. One of my best friends. Yeah, it's so good. It's good. Oh, <laughs> it's really that's good. a great answer, Jennifer. Now I can't exactly say that her answer is better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> so are we getting but, points? <laughs> but I did. I did respond a little more effusively to Jennifer. Well, I was. I was sort of wondering how close her island might be because. <laughs> She's got popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. All right. So last question. There's a button in front of you. If you push it, you must you must shower daily, but you wear the same outfit for a month. You've got to put the same clothes back on for a month. You shower daily, same clothing to go to work every day for a month. If you, That's if you push the button. If you do not press the button, you may change clothes as often as you like, but you may only shower once a month. Do you press the button or not? Do we get to wash the clothes? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Do we get to pick the clothes? You, now you can you can wear fresh undergarments, right. but 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 the but the clothes you wear on the outside that everybody sees have not been washed. They are clearly the yeah. same clothes. So do I do I get to wash myself every day or do I get to wash my clothes? Yeah. Do you get to appear clean or I would be clean? Yeah, I, I would I would press the button and take a shower, wear the same clothes. Me too. I'd be pressing the button. Deal okay, so you would you would take the shower and wear the same clothes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Fabulous. Well, we have established here that was a difficult decision, but I think you made the right one. And everyone listening is is, you know, busted a glaze on the forehead thinking <laughs> that is a terrible situation to be in. Okay. As we get started, now I've got I've got a lot of, hey, a teen walked in my office and shares this, what do I do, kinds of questions for you. But you guys do something different from what I do, but you do it with the same type of people. You know, we minister together for with young people and with their families, and we partner to try and help them become the men and women God created them to be. Uh, your training is different. Is there, before we get to the specifics, some principles, are there some principles that could guide youth ministers like me, at whatever the situation is? So, so it, it, whether it's cutting or, you know, sexual acting out or depression, when a student comes and shares something that's killing them, you know, or that's terrible, or a parent is panicked on the phone, what are some principles, regardless of the specific situation? You know, the first one that I think of is just accept people where they are. Um, and, um, 
you, you know, one of my uh, youth minister buddies is Mark DeVries. Yeah. And, uh, and so this is something that I learned from Mark and not from uh, graduate school or, or reading or anything else. Uh, you know, Mark says that every kid should have at least one adult in his life that he gets to know for free, an adult that doesn't have any agenda for him. Uh, that has had a profound impact on me, uh, particularly, you know, even as a counselor. Uh, I think of the kids that I see, and I think the same dynamic would be true for youth ministers, that, you know, their friends are pushing this way, their parents are pushing this way, they're getting this kind of pressure from school, and here is an adult who will sit and listen and just accept them where they are without having any sort of need for them to, you know, be this or do that. I think that's huge. That's, that's awesome. And I, I love that that originated with the youth pastor in your life. That's right. so great. Yeah, that was one of the very first things I wrote down to you is just listening. Don't feel like, you know, because sometimes I think we have this um, pressure to have all the answers. Um, and in so so many times, like Jim said, they get they get pressured. They have people's agendas being pushed on them. A lot of the feedback my kids get from their parents are things like, "Well, you shouldn't be thinking that, or you shouldn't be exposed to that, or you shouldn't be doing that, or you should," and all yeah. these shoulds and shouldn'ts. And it really just shuts down the lines of communication. And so, just listening without feeling like you have to have an answer um, is is a big is a big first step. So, if a guy like me says it's it's better to say I don't know than rush to to do this absolutely absolutely and even even if i think i know right so so a person who's dealing with depression comes in and and you know they're at the end of their rope or whatever and i went through depression as a teenager and i remember getting through it and god did this this and this and i feel like i know hesitate to jump to here's the solution yeah. Um, M. Scott Peck, who wrote the you know mega-selling book uh, *Road Less Traveled*, right. tells a story about as a 15-year-old student at Phillips Exeter Academy. You know, he was depressed. He was thinking about dropping out of the school. He went and talked with three. He talked to the dean, his advisor, and he talked to his math teacher. And the first two guys basically told him to just suck it up and do the best he could. And the math teacher let him talk it out. And basically said, you know, I really don't know what to tell you what to do. But he listened to him. Yeah. And he said, that guy saved my life. Wow. Yeah. Because, and he, he said hurt. that he was contemplating suicide because he was so miserable over not knowing what to do. And he said, if a math genius cannot know what to do, then it's okay for me not to know what to do. So for a teenager to hear um, this man or woman of God in, in her life say, I don't know. But I care about you, and yeah. I want you to know that, you know, I, I, the empathy is, is really important. Um, I think it's another one I think is important is to recognize that um, what you do in kids' lives, is it's sort of like throwing seeds. Um, you may not see those seeds sprout and show anything. They, they, there may not be any direct evidence of what you've done for years, but you do it in the faith that it makes a difference. And so, again, if you feel all anxious that I don't see any immediate changes in this person's life, then that begins to sort of push that agenda thing again. So so just recognize that, uh, you know, as a youth minister, you're, you have an important role in kids' lives, but it's, it's only one role. It's yeah. not everything God is doing in that person's life, and God has put other people in that 
young person's life as well. So you play your role and know that it's not all on you. Anything else that, that you just said, accept them no matter what, listen, don't have an agenda, don't try to solve it, um, you know, don't have to have the answers, and then relax a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's not all on us to solve Get this. Get your ego out of the room. I mean, okay. you know, don't, don't make how this person responds, you know, don't make how you feel about yourself as a youth minister or as a counselor or as anything, you know, depending upon how this yeah. person responds. Because I think a lot of times we get we do feel that pressure that okay something's something it, it's not changing or nothing's getting better yeah. and it's like well maybe it's not supposed to kind of giving them the right to have their process and know that God is working with them at mm-hmm. the speed that needs to be happening and um, yeah that you can just provide that place of support and empathy and love and know that there's something bigger even at work absolutely good I'm a I'm a minister. And I've, I've been taught that there are certain things that a teen could share which I do not have a legal right to hold confidential. But, but then there are also areas where you know, I'm, I'm trying to partner with parents. Okay, so right now we haven't gotten into specific situations, but are there guiding principles to help me know when to call a parent and say, you know, think you need to know this beyond the the legality of you must you know report if a if a you know a teen has threatened to hurt another person or to hurt themselves or whatever um help us think through when when the principles behind do i break confidence you, you know can i or should i or should i never well first of all i mean these are the kinds of this is the kind of tightrope that we as counselors walk every day that we work with minors Yes. Um, and so one of the things that we do routinely is we address those questions with the parent and with the teen before we get into on the front end, you know, before yes. we start walking into wherever it is we're going to start walking. Uh, I, I feel on one one hand, I sort of apologize to the teens I'm talking to because it's a very terrible way for me to begin a relationship yeah. is for me to start talking about legalities and things like that. But it's very, very important. Um, what I explain to both parents and teens is, you know, there, there are, you know, obviously some really clear things that I've got to report and they need to know what those are. Um, and there are some, obviously some equally clear things that I don't have to talk to their parents about. Um, I think, for example, feelings. Um, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, kids come in my office and say, I'm really angry with my father, but I don't want you to tell him. Well, I believe that your feelings are your business and you don't have to share them with anybody that you don't want to. And so, you know, what I will say is, sure, I can keep that between us, but let's talk about what it's like to have, you know, a resentment against such an important figure in your life and for that person not to know about it. Uh, for me, that, you know, where I draw the line uh, or the principle, I guess the best way to put it is, um, and, and I do tell the, I tell the teens that I'm working with, if I think that this puts you at risk, I've got to tell your parents at least. Um, and I also tell them I'm the person that has to decide how big that risk is. Right. You're making that decision, not the state of Tennessee. Right. You know, not, not their parents. The most difficult situation that I ever faced was a, a teenage girl who talked to me about planning to run away from home. Uh, and I really I wrestled with that in the moments of our conversation. Um, I 
didn't want to tell her parents, but I also wasn't comfortable with her being on the streets. Yeah. Uh, and it was resolved by her promising not to run away, and she didn't. So, mm-hmm. so you talked it out with her. Yeah, we did. We you talked just it said, out. I, I think maybe this is something I have to share unless you can tell me you're not going to. Is that the way that unfolded? Uh, I didn't tell her that I was going to have okay, to. Okay, got uh, it. But, but we just simply talked through what that okay. would be like, and uh, it was a long conversation, but it was a conversation that ended with her deciding not to. Got it. So you sort of went into filibuster mode. Absolutely. We're not leaving this office <laughs> until I can feel better about not telling your parents. With that girl, had you entered into a kind of an official contract at yes. the beginning to say, "Yes, I'm the judge of this." If I feel like you're at risk, yes, we had a, we had a uh, a longstanding relationship at this point, so I think it was uh, helpful. And in fact, I, I'm not sure that she would have even discussed that with me had she not felt she could trust me. Yeah, and so that speaks to building trust. Yes, mm-hmm. really um, important. And I think I agree, Jim, laying that stuff out at the beginning is huge if you can and have those discussions that, and on the front end so that there's no surprises and all in the framework of I'm a safekeeper for yeah. you. And that's my number one above anything else job is to keep you safe. One, so, of, one of the things that happens, too, by the way, is that when kids want to know how trustworthy you are, you, know, you are, they'll throw something out there and see what you <laughs> do with it. They'll, they'll test you. Can I get an example of something they'll throw out to test? I smoked weed last Friday for the first time. Or, yeah, um, and they're watching your face. Oh yeah. I mean, th- what's the they're <laughs> yeah. and they're also going to watch to see whether you know their parents find out about this too. I mean, mm-hmm. um, okay. You know, I, I mean, I I think they will they will test and uh, or or sometimes they will say something like that and then they'll say, uh, "Are you going to tell my parents?" Um, yeah. And, uh, and, of course, and, and again, with, with, with drug use, I mean, uh, one of the things that I address with the parents very clearly is, uh, and, and this gets into those kind of funny areas, you know, if your kid tells me that he slipped out and went to Bobby's house and smoked pot last weekend, I am not going to tell you that. Um, and I say the same thing to the, to, the, to the teen, but I also say to the teen, if you tell me that you huffed gas or paint or glue, your parents going to know today. Yeah. Because that can kill you the first time or the tenth time or any given right. time. And it's not that I think that pot is okay and huffing is not okay. It's that pot will not kill you today and huffing might very well kill you right. today. And I'll, I'll, you know, you're talking about kind of when do you disclose and there's the obvious ones. And I think that a lot of times that we do find the gray areas, it's like, do I disclose this? Do I talk about this? Do I not? And one of the things that I, I use as a guideline is kind of, Maybe at the beginning, in order to build the relationship and the trust, I may be less hesitant, but if nothing gets better or if things start to worsen. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, specifically, I think of one, a girl that was depressed, but she didn't want her parents to know what her mom was dealing with a mental, I mean, a physical illness that was pretty severe. Didn't want to add that pressure, but right. the depression wasn't getting better. The suicidal thoughts were getting bigger. And it was kind of like, okay, we got to, you yeah. know, got to gotta pull the team in here on this one. And yeah. this is going to be something that's going to have to be disclosed regardless of how that affects. Do, do you tell the, do you tell the, the, yes. the, the person that though? Yes. You always. say, I'm okay. going to your parents. Or you can. I, I always give right. my teens the option too. Do you want to tell them first or do you want me to? Right. Okay. I will, uh, yeah, we'll do that too. But I, I, I find I'm more comfortable if I'm just up front and say, you know, I know you might not agree with this, but I, I have to talk to your parents about this. One of the things that I think is important about this, uh, you know, getting those general ground rules out about, you know, what I, what I'll tell them, what I won't tell. 
doing that early is that the, the, the team, any team that I'm working with knows that I've thought this through. I've been here before. Yeah. Uh, very rarely do I get caught off guard. I mean, you know, it, and it's because it's so important. I've already, you know, I've already tested those walls on both sides and I know pretty much how I'm going to go. So okay. I, th- I think that that makes them feel comfortable that they're not going to, they're not going to knock me off my feet with some situation that I've never been in before. It, this makes me want to say to to youth ministers, you know, because I, uh, after the fact, it's a little too late. Once that student has come in your office and said, here's the thing I'm dealing with, now don't go tell my parents, it's a little too late to say, time out, you know, here's how I wanted to have dealt with this. So it, it makes me want to write an email to all my my parents right now and you know it in in my communication process whether it's through a meeting or in a parents class or through a weekly communication like an email or something to say FYI I sometimes have students come into my office and share things here's how I'm going to handle this you know to give them that sense on the front end maybe to lay something out for the group at an all all team meeting or something or a, or a family meeting um, because we're, we're not counselors, and, and oftentimes people come in and the process of students joining our youth group is really fluid, um, but, it's, but I'm hearing you say that's information that really ought to be out there on the front end before we get into these difficult conversations. I think that youth ministers probably have opportunities to address it a little more. Um, there, there's more flexibility about that than Jennifer and I do because, again, we meet somebody, they walk into our office for the first time, and we're about to talk about problems. I mean, we know that the whole reason that I'm in a relationship with this person or entering a relationship with this person is because there's an issue. Yeah. People don't come to me for any other reason. Uh, and so it, it's very important that we get that laid out early. But I, th- I think that as a general rule, and I, I don't know how best for youth ministers to do it, but there should be this understanding that, you know, you know, I want you to see me as someone you can trust, but you also need to know that there's some limits to that. And by the way, I mean, this is an issue for the church as a whole, congregations as a whole, because churches have gotten into trouble, you know, congregations sure. get into trouble because someone goes to an elder or a minister with something which they presume will be kept private. But when you're dealing with a church family, you really, you know, there are some things that you don't need only one person on the church staff to be aware of, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And hopefully all of our churches have something like a confidentiality they, they policy. They need to think that through. Uh, they, you know, you don't want to have to figure that out once you're in the hole. You know, you, you yeah. want to figure out how to stay out of the hole. How do I know when to, when to pass things off to a counselor like you? Be- because I've been called to be a pastoral, you know, person, a pastoral voice in the life of this student, but I'm not trained. I might find that I'm out of my, out of my league or over my head pretty quickly. You know, how do I know as a youth minister when to say, let's get you a professional counselor, and how do I know when to say, okay, maybe I can keep carrying this burden a little farther with this student? There are, you know, kind of two general uh, principles uh, that we look at professionally. I mean, one of them is what kind of impact is it having on this person's life? It's it's less about a diagnosis than it is about, you know, to what extent is it impairing this person's functioning uh, with a family, with school, uh, 
And, and then the other one is, to what extent is it creating distress for that person? Um, I've had, I've counseled with teens who, who hit their senior year of high school and suddenly they start thinking about going off to college in a year and they freak out and they get depressed and anxious or they just get really, really worried about it. Now, that is a, that's a milestone that everybody hits. And yet, for some people, it's a bigger deal than it is for others. Are there some signs of distress that would lead me to, to recommend a, a counselor route? You know, how do I know a student has reached that level of distress? I can kind of see maybe, okay, life is grinding to a halt here because grades yeah. have gone in the tank and the home is shutting down because rampant disrespect with the parent and they can't even communicate. But, but when, you know, some teens get distressed quicker than others, some there's drama. What is drama and what is, I need to pull in a professional. You go ahead. Any signs? <laughs> uh, well, one of the things that I, yeah, one of the things that I think of, I think it's important to recognize, and I think this is, this is true with, with children and with teens, uh, the stuff that marks the difference between what we might call diagnosable and not diagnosable um, is more a matter of degree than it is anything else, uh, or uh, things that are happening at, at developmentally inappropriate ages. Um you know, my teenager is moody. Well, yeah, that sounds like a teenager, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my teenager, you know, only answers me with, uh, you know, they mumble monosyllabic responses. That sounds normal, too. Yeah. Uh, if my teenager is moody all the time, if my teenager is, is you know, isolated in their room, uh, when, when people begin to lose interest in the things that they used to enjoy. Okay. Um, when their sleep and appetite patterns begin to change dramatically. Uh, obviously, a good student whose grades begin to tank is a warning sign. That's what I was going to say, a change from the norm, yeah. you know, from whatever, the, a significant change, you, you know, a major, major change in these things. It's kind of like, that's a big red flag, okay, something. With the understanding that you you define normal according to where someone is developmentally, right? I right. mean, let's let's face, and you know, early adolescence is a miserable time for everybody. It was <laughs> it was miserable for me, uh, but I I don't know, you know, not the kind of miserable where I necessarily need to see a therapist, but right. Um, so so you do. I mean, I think that a lot of parents, you know, they have these happy little ten year olds and eleven year olds and twelve year olds. And then they have these moody 13 and 14 year olds. And, and I think it creates some anxiety for parents. And yet, um, a lot of times, you know, it is just sort of more or less developmentally normal. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some situations where parents bring those kids into me because they're concerned about him. He's just not the, the kid he was a yeah. year or two years ago. And I spend some time, and a lot of times I say, you know, this young man is fine. He's just. Yeah. He's got a bad case of adolescence. Okay. <laughs> and I, the, the, the one other thing I would think of, too, um, about kind of when to go quicker into maybe a referral to a professional would be eating disorder behaviors. Um, that one pretty quickly can take a whole, um, it can get out of control really quickly. So let's use that as our segue because I've, I've got all these specific things I want to talk about, and, and we're probably going to make this a part one of two podcasts, so I think we've got some time to do this. But, but uh, eating disorders, that's a big one. And a lot of youth ministers said, what do I do? A scenario, 
Brittany comes in my office and says, David, I think Jenny's got an eating disorder. We've been watching her. you got to say something to her. That might strike a little panic in the heart of a guy like me, a youth minister that doesn't know what in the world to do. What comes next for me? What should I do? Don't panic. Okay, good. Um, Be- because, like you said, it's not all on me. Right. God's in this. Right. And there's still a lot you don't know. So, so the first thing that you want to do is you want to gather information. And as we've talked about earlier, uh, you know, you, you need to establish, I mean, hopefully you've got a very trusting relationship where, uh, you know, this person knows that you care about them and they know that you're going to accept them as they are and that you're not going to push them to do this or do that. They Hopefully they know you to be a person that they can just talk openly with and be themselves. Uh, but you, you've really got to have that sort of foundational trust relationship. With that, then you begin asking questions. You just want to know. Um, you want to know of some, Jenny. I go straight to Jenny and yeah, ask questions, right? Sure. No. Yes. And and you know you want to know what Jenny's doing and how long she's been doing it. And I want to know what Jenny's experience of that is. I I mean I would ask the question: How does that make you feel? Um, and if she tells me, then I might say, are there any other feelings that you have about that? A lot of kids become very ambivalent about the stuff that they experiment with. Um, they may be drawn to it, but at the same time, they may have some opposite feelings for whatever reason. Maybe maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's uh, it does make me feel good, but it also makes me feel shameful. Yeah. Um, and you want to provide the atmosphere where they can explore that with you because... Um, when when there's this ambivalence, and again, it's there lots of the time. Um, if you know, if you push them to the right, they're going to go to the left. If yeah. you push them to the yeah. left, they're going to go to the right. If you don't push them, then they can begin to explore both right and left. So I don't try to control the situation. Absolutely, I listen. Not. I gather data. I show love. I'm there. Do I immediately go to parents, regardless, or 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 is that something I negotiate with the? You know, I I would start with negotiation. I mean, uh, I mean, for example, to say rather than to say, well, well, listen, Jenny, I think your parents need to know about this. You know, I might say, well, who do you, who else knows about this? Who do you think okay. should know about this? How do you think your parents would react? Yeah, it's a very gentle way to begin to explore all that. I'm the youth minister in this congregation, and I know Jenny's parents. Yes, and I know they want to know this. Yes, you know, I, I know that already. I hear you saying, "Let's lead her to that conclusion." Yes, yes. you know, I actually had a a young person in my office one time, uh, and we began to talk about. Uh, well, I mean, I'm going to meet with the parents, and I and I will say to them. You know what do you want me to what do you want me to tell your parents? Yeah. What do you not want me to tell your parents? Yeah. And I've had kids say, "I really want my I really want my parent to understand you know X Y Z." And I, actually, one time I had a young person say, "You know, I would like to tell them that myself. Can we do that right now?" Yeah, um, that is great. It was fantastic because all I had to do was be a support. Mm-hmm. And and so with that in that situation, yeah. uh, we sat you know, parent down and the person addressed their concern directly with their mom, who, of course, reacted calmly because uh-huh. I'm in the room, you right. know. Exactly. That makes a big difference. Yes. Yeah. So you create that safe situation. That's great. Uh, I ask the person, what do you want me to tell your parents? 
They might what come do you back wish with your, nothing. Yeah, what, what do you wish your parents could know? What do you wish you could say to your parents? What makes it hard to say that to your parents? Uh, you know, the power of a good question. Yeah. Uh, because what questions do is they get people... Questions direct how people begin to search for an answer. How to go about finding an answer. Yeah. By, by the question you ask, you then direct the, the person's thinking, if, if that makes sense. Are there signs that, let, let's say Jenny says, I want my parents to know nothing. This is not a big deal. This is not taken over my life. Yes, it's happened. Yes, my friends have noticed. And do you, how do you monitor the situation and what are you looking for to know we've got to do something more with this? Some of, the, some of the things are uh, changes in, in appearance. That would be, you know, a simple one. Changes in appearance, like physically getting skinnier or, or changes in appearance, no longer doing her hair or both? Maybe both. both. I would say both. I mean, because not always with, um, with uh, bulimia, I'm sorry, with anorexia, you, um, no, it's with bulimia, you don't always lose weight. It's not always, the, the weight loss is not always as immediate as it is with anorexia. Okay. And so definitely, you know, things like, um, yeah, just hair changes. Um, Jim was talking, well, he mentioned um, that, you know, the hair changes, it becomes brittle, kind of starts falling out, changes to teeth, mm-hmm. um, skin color yes, yes. Um, th- there's lots of different changes like that that you can see but of course now that's somebody that's going to be a little bit farther down the path right of, of and any sort of- I will be tempted to watch this student we're at a retreat or we're having lunch at a meeting and I, is that is that good is that bad I mean well that is Jenny gonna why Depends is he on if always you can be incognito <laughs> about your watching. so it is helpful to keep an eye it is but th- that but if Jenny feels like she's being scrutinized, and if controlled. she feels yes, then okay. then that becomes a turnoff for her. Yes, and it's become more of a battle of okay, well, I'll dig my heels in a little bit deeper because somebody's got an agenda they're trying to press on me. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, when you were talking a minute ago, David, I was thinking about a kind of a situation where, and poor Jenny, we're picking on her, her here today. But, <laughs> Jenny is fictitious, by the way. <laughs> yes. Simply um, a female's name. And yeah. it should be stated that, that females are not the only ones to deal with no. eating disorders. That's right. Uh, my, I, I, I know this firsthand yeah. uh, in my own experience, so I know that's true. And and this is kind of general, but I mean, you, you may be dealing with a young person who you have some concerns about and you want them to seek help or you want them to talk to their parents or somebody and they don't want to do that and and it may be one of those things where you you know you don't force the issue but uh, i think it's important to be very upfront and say jenny you know i want you to know i care about you and and i do understand and respect the fact that you don't see this as a problem but i'm concerned because of and and it's it's great if you can you know yeah. uh, enumerate some reasons why um, and and also maybe even tell them, you know, I'm concerned that this may reach such and such right. a point. So. so you lay the groundwork for a point at, in the future at which you go to the parents without her blessing or permission. But, yeah, but you can, you know, you can respectfully uh, let a person know that you don't agree with their assessment that this is not a problem and do that, you know, in a loving, caring kind of way. I would assume 
eat, eating disorder behaviors are always a problem. It, that's packed into the reasons why I might panic. I, I don't understand it. You know, I've never personally dealt with it. I've had I've had very close friends who have. And so I don't understand it. I would assume this is always a problem, but is that assuming too much? I mean, you know, I know there are, are eating disorder behaviors that aren't technically considered eating disorders. Would 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 there be room for some of those in what you were talking about earlier as normal behavior, or or is it always aberrant? I, th- I think it's always a red flag. It's always a concern. It may only be an experimental phase. However, you know, I would want to know why is this person, you know, yeah. is there something driving this person to experiment with this, that, or the other? Um, it's not always a reason to push the panic button. Right. Um, if it's being utilized as a coping skill, okay, we'll get, you know, the, the bigger question is, okay, well, what are you having to cope with? Right. And, and then figuring out what some alternatives and that might be an easy way to kind of redirect without trying to control or push an agenda. What percentage of the time does it start as a coping mechanism for teens? I mean, I mean, not that you, I, you know, know the I, empirical. I, I think that probably much of the time it does. I mean, I think people do sort of experiment with things. I mean, and again, let's let's talk about let's say experimentation with alcohol or drugs. You know, we experiment with it, and and it may be something that's only recreational, that's fun sometimes, but we don't have to do it. But if I've got some pressure, stress in my life, and I find that this provides a certain amount of yeah. emotional relief, then I'm going to find myself turning to it more and more and more. Um, and then it eventually, you know, does run the risk of becoming a problem. When we're talking about coping mechanisms, I think it's important to talk about, uh, this is my definition of the word dysfunctional. I mean, things that are dysfunctional, they work at a high price. Uh, I mean, if I have a dysfunctional coping mechanism, let's say it's alcohol, uh, well, it does work or I wouldn't do it. But on the other hand, it creates other problems. Destroys my marriage, you know, puts my life in jeopardy. Absolutely. And, and of course, what I do to manage that is I simply sort of blind myself, right. deny these other things because I so desperately need something to cope with this other problem okay. over there. And there's obviously the number of things that that could apply to, you know, incalculable, the ways in which we tend to run to certain things that might be okay in a sense, but could, you know, if if taken to the wrong level, sort of spin out of control in our lives. Before we take a break, because I want us to to tackle some other big issues that that youth ministers want want information about, um, let's wrap this up with, with just, uh, you know, is there any other word on how we should handle, you know, sort of from a, from a 50,000 foot level, uh, the, the, you know, conversations with the teenagers that come into a youth minister's office? I, I go back to those things that we started with, that there has to be this real fundamental relationship of trust and concern that you allow a person to sort of, uh, you accept them where they are, you allow them to experiment, to ask questions, um, and and you just lovingly let them wander around a bit, um, provide a safe environment for that to happen. Will a teen ever want to see a counselor? I mean, is, is there ever a possibility that I'm going to hear a teenager say, I think I need to see somebody? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And when that happens, I would say go with it. You go to the parents. I would never discourage that. I'm I'm going to go to the parents and say, hey, listen to what little Johnny told me. Let's get him. And and what if a parent says, I don't want my kid to see a shrink. No no kid of mine is going to see a, you know, a professional or we don't have money. We're not going to do this. What do I push? I, you know, I think I would, depending upon the situation, it, it may be more, uh, you know, urgent of a thing where you really do, you know, kind of push a little bit. But you, you want to encourage, you want to be able to give your reasons for that. Um, beyond that, I mean, let's say you're dealing with an older teenager, say a mature 16-year-old or 17-year-old. Um, you know, you can legally get that person to a counselor uh, who, you know, would be comfortable seeing them without their parents' permission uh, you may have to get creative in how to pay for it. I mean, the right. church may actually pay for it. I mean, right, that happens. Right. Uh, that happens, you know, a number of times. Um, when you're dealing with a a younger teenager where that's simply not a problem, then I think as a youth minister, you can provide a lot of support and encouragement, uh, just, you know, extra support and encouragement right. to that. Uh, to that teenager uh, while still sort of working with the parents to try to help them change their mind. Obviously, things are going to get better or they're going to get worse. And if they get worse, then hopefully the parents will begin to see. And hopefully all of us have men or women or you know, individuals in our congregation at the elder level or senior minister level, or, or in my case, it would be an executive minister, Mike Runcie, that I would run to and say, I got this student that wants to see somebody and a parent that won't let it happen. Can you work on the parent on that side? So that that would hopefully... Which uh, is a whole other podcast, but obviously when, you know, (laughs) when someone comes in and a senior minister comes in and starts pushing, well, then you may get some pushback. And so, you know, there's some some need for tact there too that uh, you work with the parents. I mean, again, you want to understand what the parents' concerns are. Why are they opposed to it? Uh, don't you know you almost kind of have to start with the parents the same way you would start with the child which is you know right with gentleness and understanding absolutely my husband and I we joke sometimes people just need to punch in the chest so that was gonna be my answer like you said what if a parent (laughs) says no just punch him in the chest really hard and then yes you have to do it but no yeah just yeah so and, and going back to the parents even if they're resistant at first that doesn't mean that if you can't maybe keep checking in with them and just saying, you know, I, I'm continuing to talk yeah. with your kid and your kid is, it, it's not getting better or it's getting worse. Or did you, re- did you know this? Yeah. It might be that then their resistance starts to decrease as they realize, okay, something is really still happening over time and not improving. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, this has been great. I'm really excited about a part two to this podcast. I need to go to the restroom. So can we <laughs> call a timeout? Um, and come back and I want to hit, we'll talk about suicide, talk about cutting, talk about some sexual acting out, uh, and maybe we'll have time for, for some other things. Maybe we won't. Uh, Jennifer Lackey, uh, Jim Frost, Agape Counselors, thank you for being here. We'll be back in a few minutes on the, the Digital Side Hub. <laughs>